interesting stuff. Um, one time at a small group, a lady gave me a gift. It was a wheel of cheese. The only thing I love probably more than gifts is cheese. And so a gift of cheese was really awesome. I ate the whole thing before I got home. I just, it's fun to get a gift. Who doesn't enjoy that? I mean, there's something mysterious about it. It's wrapped up, what is it? And it's just fun to get things. Does anybody enjoy getting gifts? Yeah. I've got some uh, free gifts here. And it's just fun to get a gift. And it's fun to get something for free. And be like, oh, what is it? It's exciting. You know, I can open it. When it comes to reasons to be a Christian, a student of Jesus Christ, and a disciple of the way that he lived and loved, one of my reasons to be a Christian is because Christian tradition paints God as a God full of grace. A God who loves to give gifts. That's what grace means, to give a gift. Now the word grace or favor is mentioned over, um, over 170 times in the Bible. 40 of those times are in the New Testament alone. Sometimes it's translated grace or favor. I was taught growing up that grace meant unmerited favor, which is true, but also kind of stuffy and churchy. You know, that's a definition that you memorize. Oh, yeah, I'm preaching with my master. I just got started and didn't even think about it, right? You probably didn't hear anything that I said before that. To people watching online, I'm so sorry. People here, I'm so sorry. Um, did anything I say make any sense? Okay, you could hear it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you just get so used to wearing it, you're like, it's just a part of me now, and you forget about it. So backing up, I was taught that grace meant unmerited favor, which was a definition that I memorized, but I didn't really understand what that meant for my life. I think it's a lot easier to think of grace as a gift. Grace means gift. And if, as we read our Bibles, if we replace the word grace in the, the passage with the word gift, we quickly get a picture of a very generous God who wants to freely give out of his abundant love for us. Here's just a couple examples, Ephesians 1 through 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's gift. Colossians 1, 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's gift. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of gifts with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find gifts to help us in our time of need. Now sometimes when I read the word grace and it's such a churchy word, it doesn't really mean anything to me. But when I, when I translate this verse, when I read it as gifts, all of a sudden I realize, man, God's a generous and kind God. Now it's not wrong to say unmerited favor. That's a textbook definition of grace. I think that definition is trying to get to the heart of the fact that you don't earn gifts. When I give away a gift, I'm not saying this is payment for something that you've done. You earn paychecks, you don't earn gifts. When I get a paycheck from my part-time job at the art center, I don't say thank you for this gift every two weeks. I'm like, thank you for this gift. No, I say give me my money. I clean toilets for this. I want my money. I earned it. You can't say that about a gift. So why does this concept of God giving gifts make me want to be a student of Jesus? Why does it make me want to be a Christian? All religions say something like this. Keep the rules, 
and God will bless you. Keep the rules and God will give you gifts. Yahweh, the God of Christianity, though, says something different. He says, I will bless everyone irregardless of whether or not they keep the rules. One of the things I love about Jesus and about being a Christian is Jesus doesn't use blessings to coerce people into belief. Let's look at a couple places here. In Matthew 5, 44 and 45, Jesus is teaching and he says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Because then you will act like your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus is teaching us, love those who treat you poorly, who don't care about you, who have no concern for you, who aren't good people, because that's exactly how God operates. You're going to look like God. You're going to act like God. You're going to be a student of the way that God operates when you show favor to everyone. In Acts 10.34, Peter said, I now realize that it is true that God does not show favoritism. And when he was saying that, he wasn't saying that God acts like no one's his favorite. He was saying, actually, God acts like everyone is his favorite. Think about that for a minute. God acts like every human being on the planet is his favorite. Evil people get to enjoy art and music. They get to enjoy sunrises and beach vacations. Evil people get to have people love them. They get to experience belonging. They get to celebrate success. All of that is a gift from a God who is generous and loving. And that makes me want to learn more about him. It makes me want to be a student of his. See, grace is scandalous when it is, um, grace is scandalous compared to how we imagine God should work or would work in our world. See, we imagine that if we do the right things, like if you go to church, or if you avoid destructive behaviors, or you keep a moral code, or you're very generous, and you give to the church, or you give to good organizations, then God will give you good stuff, right? That's how we imagine God would work. But grace is scandalous because God doesn't work that way. We imagine if we do destructive things or we skip church, there will be consequences and God will withhold good things from us. But Jesus says that's not how God acts. He brings the sun and the rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, when I was growing up in church, I went to youth group, other teenagers, we'd get together, they would teach us about the Bible. And I remember skipping youth group one time and they were like, you know, Alex, there was a kid one time who skipped youth group and got into a terrible car accident. Because they skipped youth group, if they had been there, they wouldn't have been in this terrible car accident and now they're in a wheelchair and so you shouldn't skip youth group because that could be you. God, a God of grace, never acts like that, never talks like that. I was like, so where is this kid? Like, you know, I've never heard about this kid. He moved away, you know, like, you should just come. God doesn't try to manipulate us by saying, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to torture you. Instead, he generously gives to everyone on this planet good the Christian tradition says that creation itself was an act of abundant sharing. Yahweh, the creator God of the universe, is a triune community of love, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They existed in perfect unity, giving and sharing love for each other for endless time past and for eternity future. They did not create beings to serve them. 
People are like, man, we need some servants around here. Let's create people. They did not create people because they were like, man, we're kind of bored. We're kind of lonely. Let's create people. No, they had a perfect relationship, and it was so good they wanted to share it. They created to share out of their abundant goodness of their love. This fundamentally changes the way that I think about the reason that I exist. I exist to find God and enjoy Him forever. He created me so that I could enjoy the relationship at the heart of the universe, the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Now, this is one of the reasons that I'm a Christian, because Christianity reframes the way that I see my life. I see my life as a recipient of endless divine gifts. I was created to enjoy God, and he's constantly raining good things down into my world and existence. I've been invited into the family of an eternal gift giver, and he gives good gifts. Have you ever known somebody who gives really, really bad gifts? Like we had a family friend that we would always exchange gifts with growing up, and they would—they uh, didn't know me very well, and so they would always get me the weirdest stuff that I had no interest in. Like one time, they bought me this nice little toiletry bag, and it was like you can keep all your stuff for when you travel. And I was like, I don't want to travel. I just want to stay at home all the time. You know, like, what is this? And then it like had a space for everything you would take on a trip. And I'm like, I usually just throw it into a Ziploc bag and throw it into my suitcase, you know? They didn't know me and I was like, this isn't a good gift for me. Um, God knows you because he made you and he knows what good gifts would look like in your life and in your world. So in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, Jesus is talking about prayer, and he's talking about his Father in heaven, and this is what he says. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Now I love this example, because it's like your kid says, I want a sandwich, Dad. And you say, go eat that rock. That's just such a crazy example. But I love how Jesus uses these extremes to drive home a point. Or verse 10, if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? Like a kid goes to school and opens up their lunch and a snake jumps out. Oh, dad. <laughs> like, what dad would do that? Obviously not. Verse 11, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up all the law and the prophets. I mean, Jesus is having fun with his audience here. I'm sure people chuckled when he said this, or they, they were shocked at his extreme examples. And he's teasing the audience a little bit. He says, you know, you're evil. You're not good. And God gives you good gifts, even though you're evil. He says, you're evil and you give good gifts. Do you think you can outgive God? You think evil people can outgive a good God? Obviously, the answer is no. Christianity paints God as a cosmic gift giver that enjoys giving gifts. He enjoys giving good things to people in this world, even and maybe even especially if they don't deserve it. One of the reasons I'm a follower of Jesus is because his way of life reframes my perspective on my everyday routine. By following Jesus, it changes how I think about my life when I wake up in the morning. I don't wake up and go, oh, I gotta go to work. Why am I alive? No, it changes the way that I think about life. 
Embracing the way of Jesus begins by recognizing that every day isn't a grind. Every day is a gift. Or in the words of Hamilton, I feel like all I can do is think about Hamilton since I've seen that musical. And so it's like my example for everything. Look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. The fact that you're alive is a miracle. I mean, that may be the songs from a Broadway play, but I think it's very biblical. It fits the Christian tradition. The fact that you and I, you online and I are alive today is a miracle. It's a gift. This is not just another day. This is a gift. And we get to unwrap it by living Every day for the student of Jesus should be started with the eagerness and the excitement that God has hidden gifts all around you in your life today. Christianity elevates ordinary moments and lets you see them for what they really are, divine gifts. And your life and my life is full of so many good gifts. James 1.17, James, the brother of Jesus, says every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything good in your life is a generous gift from a loving God who never gets tired of giving. He doesn't change. Like if you've ever watched the shadows out on the sidewalk, throughout the day they're going to change and shift as people move and as the wind blows and as the sun moves across the sky. But God never changes. He never gets tired of giving. Thank him for that. God never gets tired of pouring out good things in your life. Now, I grew up around people in the South, in Tennessee, who would say grace before they ate. Like, we would sit down to eat, and they would say, oh, who's going to say grace? And I always thought that terminology was weird, right? What does it mean to say grace? I'm like, grace is unmerited favor, so why am I saying that before I eat? Grace is how someone is graceful when they dance, or how Black Widow is graceful when she takes down an enemy in Marvel movies, you know? What does it mean to say grace before you eat? Why is the prayer before eating called grace? It's called grace because it is acknowledging that every scrap of food we have and eat and taste and enjoy is a gift. It's a way of acknowledging the fact that you, the fact that you can feed your family is a gift. And we shouldn't take it from granted. It's calling out that what we're experiencing is a divine gift. We need to call out the good things in our lives as gifts from a generous God. When there are good things in our lives, we need to say, that's grace. That's a gift. That's a divine gift from a generous God. Now, I hate writing thank yous. If you've ever given me something and I didn't write you a thank you, I'm sorry. I remember after Darby and I got married, my grandmother gave us a generous gift. And I swore I wrote her a thank you and sent it. She swore she never got a thank you. And it was this whole back and forth. And uh, I do not enjoy writing thank yous. It's hard work thinking up the words to try and express the gratitude for the generosity of people. But I found that the more I take the time to express gratitude, the more I appreciate what I have. Now that seems weird, but modern psychology seems to agree with me and agree with the Bible. The more we give words to express how much we appreciate what we've been given, the more we appreciate what we have. The more we take time to call out things as grace, as a divine gift in our life, because they're good and they've been given to us, the more we appreciate what we have, the more we enjoy what we have. 
Thankfulness changes you in the midst of your reality, even if your present reality doesn't change. I believe there's two types of people in the world. People who think their days are showered with gifts, so they're always finding things to be thankful for. And people who think their days are filled with monotony, and they're always finding things to complain about. Which are we? Are we people who think our lives are full of gifts, and we're finding things to be thankful for? Or do we think our days are filled with monotony, and we're always finding things to complain about? I'm a Christian. I'm a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved because following in his footsteps trains me to see divine gifts everywhere and give thanks for everything. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the Apostle Paul tells the church, give thanks in all situations of your life. The Bible describes God as a generous gift giver, but that doesn't mean it ignores the pain and the pressures of the real world. The Christian tradition says that even out of pain, God will bring good. He never lets evil have the last word in your life or in your story, and he won't let evil have the last word in this world. Training your mind to think of each day as a gift doesn't mean you look at painful things and you try to do spiritual gymnastics to call it good. I've seen some people do this. They're like, well, I've got to thank God for everything, in everything, and so I'm going to try to make this bad thing good. It means you expect to find a lot more good things than you do evil things in your world. You go looking for the good because you think your life is full of good gifts from a generous God. That doesn't mean you deny the pain and the evil of something you're facing, but it means that you see your world as mostly filled with good gifts even if you're currently facing something painful and difficult. That despite the cosmic crack in our world because of sin and evil, God is abundantly showering good into our everyday lives. Just listen to this list for a minute. And I want you to think about, whether you're watching online or you're here, think about how good your life is. You're not homeless. You have a place to live. You have a car. You have someone who loves you. You can talk to someone who listens to what you have to say. You have enough to eat. You can see, smell, hear, walk, talk, read, write. You have friends. You can taste. You can sing. You can dance. You have the freedom to come and go as you please. You have the freedom to create. You have the freedom to dream. The clouds are painting a blue canvas today. The birds are singing a hymn today, and you can hear it. How good is our lives? Because there is a generous God raining down good, hiding good gifts all around us constantly. Every day, our lives run over with abundant gifts from a generous God. Your life and my life is dripping with divine gifts. Have we forgotten? So often... I forget. I love the words of Beth Moore. Here's what she said. Practice savoring moments. Pause over anything lovely, anything fragrant, anything noteworthy or intriguing or mysterious. Stop for a minute. Anything at all, stop and find joy in it. Sometimes I'm rushing so fast from one thing to the next that I don't stop and savor the good gifts that God has given me. When we stop and slow down and savor the moments, 
that God has generously placed into our lives, we begin to realize how good he is and how generous he has been with us. Maybe you've been complaining more than you've been thankful. What I found is the more we give thanks, the more content we are. The less content we are, the more we will complain. The more we give thanks, the more content, the less complaining. The less content we are, the more we complain because we haven't given thanks. And finally, do we reflect the generous nature of our master, Jesus? In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says God loves a cheerful giver because a cheerful giver looks like Jesus. Because Jesus cheerfully gave everything for us. He went to the cross and laid down his life so that we might live out his life as students of the way that he lived and and we reflect Jesus when we live generous lives like our generous God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing so much good into my life. And so often I fixate on what's wrong instead of celebrating everything that's right. Forgive me for so often looking at life as a grind and not a gift. Because one of the reasons I follow you is because you say, come to me all who are weary worn out and I will give you rest. I'll teach you a way of life that celebrates instead of complaints. Lord, thank you for coming and living and dying and picking back up your life to live forever and inviting us into your eternal life as well. I pray all these things like I believe Jesus Christ would.